We laugh. We cry. We learn. But really, what doesn't kill you makes you better at managing clients and everyone. I'm Morgan Friedman, and this is Client Horror Stories. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the latest episode of Client Horror Stories. I'm excited today to have with me Catherine Bowellen. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Perfect. I get a gold star. <laughs> As they say in New York, with that and a subway token, you can get a subway ride. So uh, let's jump in right, right to the story, getting right to the action. Catherine, tell us all about your favorite client horror story. It's so interesting. I was, I was thinking earlier about telling you this story today, and I thought this might, this might be a slightly cathartic experience for me because this is one of my memories, a nightmare memory, you know, and I think it was, it must have been in the um, the 1980s or maybe early 90s that this occurred. So back then, I was a trainer and I would travel around the countryside with my team, training people on behalf of our clients. So we would go to a client site and take a part of their premises and run a, a training course for them. And... Um, the training team was distinct from the sales team. So the sales team would go in and, and get the contract and then the sales team would brief the training team and the training team would go in and deliver the contract. I, I want to interject for a second. What's interesting, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where the story is going. I just want to say that's a yellow flag all the time. Like the less sales and the implementers talk to each other to more of like a disconnect there, there, there is between that. So right. Uh, the only problem was in those days, the people who were good at training were really bad at selling. And the mm. people who were good at selling were really, you wouldn't want to let them train people because they were too bossy. You know, they, they were just bossy go-getters and they, they, you know, they weren't the right kind of people. Um, and also we were all very young. So we, each of us could only be good at one thing. You know, as everyone gets older, they can be good at more than one thing, right? But, and that Hopefully. Time, <laughs> we, we were lucky to have people who could sell at all. And we were lucky to have people who could train at all. So um, we were young. Um, so uh, this particular contract, we went off and we were always in a Ford Sierra, which is like a, um, a very standard sort of rep vehicle in those days. We were herring up down the motorway. We went down to this place. I think it was a travel agency, something like that, down near the south coast of England. And uh, we had been um, contracted to go down and run a telephone sales training, a two-day telephone sales training, uh, teaching them skills on the telephone so they could set appointments for their reps and also take orders. So we arrived. The first red flag when we arrived was to discover that the, the room we had been given for the training was in a separate building to the main office building. And this separate building was almost derelict. So the room we were supposed to use, it, it had plaster on the walls, 
But beyond that, it was dusty, it was filthy, um, there was barely it. They, they put some plastic chairs in there for people to sit on. They put these chairs on this dusty, filthy floor in this room. There were bare light bulbs hanging down. I mean, you wouldn't, it, it was really bizarre. So we first then had to spend, we were exhausted from the traveling. We just wanted to have some supper and go to bed. We had to spend several hours, the whole team, washing the walls, cleaning the floors, cleaning the furniture, tried to get them to give us a flip chart. They found one somewhere. You know, we, we, the whole thing was just really weird to begin wow. with. Wow. Okay, so, so, I, so that, that, that's actually interesting. So what I love in these Kleinhar stories to hear situations that I've never heard before because often they're the same things. Make sure you document everything. But, but this is actually a, a very new sort of situation. So a few quick comments that might be useful to, uh, to, to, to everyone listening. First, I think it's interesting how, how nice or not nice the physical space you're given is is representative for like the management approach or the management like if management values something hey if the queen of england oh no king of england is coming then you like give them the nicest room but just judging by like how how nice or disgusting a room is it's already a symbol for how much interest attention love and support that that they have for what you're doing Precisely. And also lack of respect for their own people. Ooh, good point. Good point. You know, and um, also a lack of understanding that the environment makes a difference to the value that you get. You know, if they wanted to get maximum value from the whole thing, that's not the way to do it. Well, yes, yeah, so They're wasting their own money, really. That, 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 that is a good point, because I think a lot of people just think, no, we'll just we'll just put them in a room. And like the more important they are, the nicer the room. But actually the physical setting can like influence in, in psychological subconscious sort of, sorts of ways. Like, okay. like do, do you actually want to be there? If the room's really disgusting, you're like, I want to get out as fast yeah. as possible. Yeah, can I relax? Can I go into the peaceful frame of mind to actually take in the information? Can I feel safe to experiment with things? All of that. So immediately we thought, well, this is insane. And it, but before you go on on the insanity, I also want to point out it speaks highly of your team that you guys cleaned up the room. That's like far outside the job description, but it but it shows uh, it shows like your willingness to do what's necessary to get the job done. That was one of our strengths. Uh, it was a strength, but it was also a weakness, in fact, because. Our willingness to do whatever is necessary is fantastic when it's possible to get the results. Mm, good point. Good point. <laughs> if, if it's not possible to get the result, then you're just going to kill yourself. When, when it's a losing battle. It's, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's been something actually for me as a practitioner, you know, when do I realize that this actually is not going to work? When is it time to pull out? When is it time to say to everybody, we are beating our heads against a brick wall here. We're doing it diligently, but we're still not achieving anything. So that was the, um, you know, before we'd even started, okay. okay, before we'd even started. So I then thought, well, I better have a chat with the client, you know, because I'm concerned. Oh, he's on holiday. The guy who'd contracted- He's on holiday. <laughs> was on holiday. I thought, that's interesting. You know- It's a wizard. 
was this the person the person I was it the person you're supposed to train or just yeah. like the boss who was uh, okay okay in those days I, I I wasn't training or working with the bosses I was working with the staff right right right, right. Uh, so um I thought mm, I wonder if that's a coincidence you know or not we don't know anyway Anyway, we turned up the next day with all our material and content and we wrote on the flip chart, you know, welcome. We're here to do the sale, telephone sales training. And all these people walked in. They all sat down in the chairs and they looked at us and they looked really unwilling, resistant, uncooperative. So we thought, well, we'll, you know, we'll try and win them over with our charm. And we just started. And, they, and, and then we said, is there a problem? And one of them said, we don't do telephone sales in our job. Wait, so you're going to train them on something that they don't do? Yeah. I said, oh, what do you mean? They said, it's, it's not part of our job to do that. So we don't understand why we're in this room being taught how to do telephone sales. And I thought, oh, my God. And the rest of the team were looking at me because I was the lead trainer. And I'm thinking, I don't know why you're looking at me. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I was completely... It was absolutely new to me. This had never happened before. It was a, it was a shock. But because the other thing was we were all geared up. You know, we'd had a meeting, you know, between the trainers and we'd all worked out who's going to do what and how we're going to make it a really good couple of days for everybody and all the material. And then suddenly it's like this roadblock where they said, but we that's not in our job to do that. So we had a conversation and we said, ah, oh, well, uh, well, why don't you learn it anyway? You know, it's great skills to have. So I'll just add as a parenthetical, it's interesting also how times change because you said the story was in the late 80s, 90s. Now you would just like send a text message, WhatsApp to the boss to be like, what, like what's happening? What's the situation? But yeah. but back then you like pre-cell phones, you, you, you had to use your judgment. Uh, exactly. I couldn't do that. I pretty, I probably called back to base to, to our company. I can't remember whether or not I called back to base. I probably did. And they probably said something like, well, just make it work. Just make it work. <laughs> you know, just make it work. You know, um, so first of all, we Head, tried to persuade them. Headqu headquarters, headquarters never wants to lose the revenue. <laughs> <laughs> Also, nobody wanted to look into how this had happened. You know, it was a nasty shock. I mean, if, we, if we'd been told this three weeks beforehand, these people may not want to do it because they don't do sales. We'd have had time to do something about it. But it was now like 9.15 in the morning yeah. on the day when the training starts at 9 a.m. And it's two full days worth of content, you know. Anyway, so we tried to persuade them to do the course anyway, and they went, no, not a chance. And they were all sitting there with their arms crossed. No bloody way. You know, if 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 you if we let you teach us this, then we're going to be forced to get on the phones and do telephone sales, <laughs> which we don't want to do. So we said, okay, um, all right, why don't you just do um, one day with us and we'll just teach you some communication skills, just general communication skills that are not strictly telephone skill related. They went, okay. So we did a one day thing with them, which we just kind of, right. just kind of rolled with it. Cause that's another kind of training that we did. People who didn't do sales, 
just communication skills. So we did that with them for the day. Um, but we were really demoralized by the whole experience. And it was very hard to do that day because we had to try to be more positive than the people who were in the room with us and encouraging to them. They felt really disrespected by the whole situation. We felt disrespected. You know, it was a very, very upsetting situation altogether. And of course, the people in the main the main building, we told them what was going on. They were really, oh my God, what's he done? You know, about the boss. They're, oh God, you know. They so, know so, e upset. so, so even in the main building, no one had an idea why they were supposed to be given telephone training. Yeah, they, 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 everyone was just, we just done them. Anyway, so, um, so, so we- as, what, what I'll say is there's, uh, there's an obvious lesson here about communication, and I hope soon we find out what the boss was thinking. But but before that, a less obvious lesson is the importance of being around. Like 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 the situation would have been different had the boss done this, but the boss was sitting in the sitting in the main building. But hey, do this weird thing and 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 disappear. Like a, a large portion of the job of both a consultant and a boss is to deal with edge cases like mm -hmm. deal with weird situations when things don't go don't go as expected which is why being there is being physically around is just half the job yeah just to that point uh about being there let's say i or a member of my team or me and my team had been there let's say the previous week let's say we'd gone down the previous week just to meet people have a chat wander around we would have found out about this mismatch ah uh, that that is that is a good point it works both ways not only should the boss have been there but had your team spent more time there been there more you would have realized this beforehand yeah that's right that's right but the contract was done such that you know it's like a surgical strike you know you 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 fly in you do the thing you fly back out and it's done and that means they get it for a good price etc cetera, etc cetera. That's the piece of learning I took from that. So that's actually you know, two two thoughts two thoughts on that. One um remind this reminds me of a classic saying from Woody Allen as a good New York Jew. We love quote quoting Woody Allen nonstop, where where he said, ninety percent of success is showing up." So like this is an example where like the boss's biggest problem so far is he literally just didn't show up when. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and also it's an interesting point on like the approach being like the surgical strike, like don't come get to know them, no context before, just show up, do the surgery and uh, and and, show, and 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 leave because I think they're very, they're very different approaches. I, yes. This this reminds me of a personal story where long long ago I dated a girl whose uh, whose mother was dying from some like fatal cancer, and I remember they had. They went and spoke to like the top doctors in Chicago, and um, and I, in order to find the right doctor, and basically there's like the best doctor in Chicago, but he was like the surgical strike, like he was a total asshole. We just come in, do the surgery, but he had like the best reputation. Then there was this other one who was like really good, but not the super superstar famous one. But he would like a meeting after meeting, explain context, hold their hands, and they ended up choosing the second one. Even though, even though he wasn't like the superstar, fam the superstar famous one, but that 
context, getting to know, holding your hand just goes so far. Totally. It makes such so much difference. And in fact, that's one of the things I learned from it. And then later on, after I left that particular company and set up on my own, whenever I was asked to work with a group, I would say, I'm going to meet every single member of that group for at least an hour and get to know them prior to doing this, prior to doing the session and prior to agreeing the purpose of the session. You know, not going to do it without that. You know, actually, I, I hadn't really thought about that that before, but that's interesting because often like in a sales context, you'll meet like the head of the company you'll work with or the person hiring you, but you'll, but you'll actually be working with the lower level people and just spending an hour with each of them goes so far towards not just having a good working relationship with them when you start working with you, but helping you decide, do you actually want to work with them? <laughs> and also what is it that everybody wants? You know, is yes. there something yes. everybody wants? Because getting together for two, three, four days is a lot of effort and time and emotional, uh, you know, cost and energy cost and everything. If everyone's being dragged into something that someone else has come up with that is not what they want or need, that's, it's not going to work. It, well, sometimes it does. Let's say everybody's got to learn basic Excel or something or basic how to do something, you know, and they need it for their job. That's one thing. But if it's something of a more human interpersonal nature, like teamwork or management or personal development or any of those things, you know, the, the, the human will and the desire and the spirit and the soul has got to be in the room. 1,000% and often just meeting them is the only way to know if the soul is going to be there or not. Yeah. 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 Okay. Such insightful points. I love it. So then what happens? Well, so then we sort of dragged our way home a day a day early because we'd only done the one day instead of two and tried to find out what had happened. So to begin with, the salesperson who'd sold the contract was angry with us because we hadn't done what we'd been asked to do, which was to teach them telephone sales skills, right? So I said, do you realize that these people that's not in their job description. That's not what they think they're supposed to be doing. Or do you not realize this? And, and the salesperson said, well, the client never told me that. The client said he had this team of people. He wanted them trained. Um, and I just assumed that it was their job. <laughs> you know. Um, so th th she, was, she was then quite cross about the situation. And, of course, being a salesperson, she wanted us to leave her alone so she could get on with selling more staff. She didn't want to go, have to go back over old ground of stuff she's already oh. sold. She didn't want to do that. But anyway, she looked into it. Turned out that it was true. It wasn't part of their job description. It wasn't what they'd been hired to do. Wait, actually, hold on. Be before, before you tell me what happened, I'm excited. A question that, that, that I forgot to ask. When you're in that room, in those initial 15 minutes, what had they been told the training was for? Because they, they were clearly told you have a, you have a two-day-long training. Yeah, they hadn't been really told anything. They'd just been told, show up for training. Okay. <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> utterly ridiculous. But people are probably still doing that today, unfortunately. You know, it's your job. Show up at work on time. Oh, today you're being trained. Okay. 
yeah, it's tragic. It doesn't work. But so anyway, so the salesperson who was well thoroughly fed up because she wanted to, you know, didn't want to do this, but she went and checked. Turned out that it it hadn't been part of their job, but the boss had decided that he would now like them to begin to do sales on the phone. That's what he now would like them to start to do. So he decided that his method of informing them about that was to hire us to come in and train them to do it. And the reason he went on holiday at the time was because he didn't want to be around (sighs) on the day when his staff found out that they were now supposed to be doing telephone sales on the phone from some external people. Wow. It sounds like... What he hadn't done, he hadn't actually said, when your trainers come in, part of their job is to tell my people that part of their job now is telephone sales. He didn't say that. But he, of course he didn't say that because if he had said that, our salesperson would have said, no, we can't do that. That's not our job. That's your job. So he was trying to get us to do part of his job because he was frightened of doing it because he was frightened that they would not want to do telephone sales. So he was trying to manipulate them into doing it without being upfront and telling them that that's what he wanted them to do. It sounds like a disaster, boss. Definitely lives up to the horror name. Definitely. But I'll tell you, that that was a very, very significant situation where lots of things were wrong, you know, which in, in a way, it's a good thing because you can't not notice it. You know, you can't you can't go home and go, there was something a little bit off about that. No, the whole thing was a nightmare. It was unavoidably a nightmare. And so it stuck with me. And since then, I've had a really good antenna for bosses trying to do something like that. You know, bosses do this a lot. They, instead of having a conversation with somebody and saying, I don't like this about what you're doing. Sometimes they will hire a coach or a trainer or somebody. They'll say to the coach or trainer, I want you to get this person to stop doing this thing. Whereas they're the person who should be telling them, but they hire someone else to do it on their behalf. And I've had lots of clients try and make me do things like that on their behalf. And I've had to say, no, (laughs) that won't work. That's disrespectful to your people. Do you not see that? Do you not see that you're the one who has to tell them and have a conversation with them and see if they're willing to change it? I think part part of being a boss, in fact, I'd say one of the most important skills of being a boss is having hard conversations. And, And the boss that doesn't know how to have hard conversations probably shouldn't be a boss. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea what happened to that business after we left, but, you know, it would not surprise me if it didn't really survive because there was so much about that dynamic. I, I would not surprise me if a lot of those people just decided to re- resign because it was just really un, just you can't work for a boss like that. That's just. And I've been in that situation as well, where somebody um, is sent to come and tell me something which really my boss should be telling me you know, something he wants me to change, right. you know, and then suddenly you go, oh, so, so-and-so would like you would, to meet with you. And you go and you go, what is this meeting? You know, sometimes it'll be an HR professional, let's say, who you're asked to meet with HR and HR tells you that your boss is upset about something that you're doing. And it's a horrible experience. It's just a, 
be like if somebody um, turned up and said, I'm here to tell you that your boyfriend or girlfriend wants to dump you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It'd be like that experience. It's just incredibly disrespectful and very uh, uh, kind of abusive, really, in, in my opinion. You know, I, I think that's not honorable. A few interesting takes on this that, that, that are worth exploring. One thought is, I wonder if people who are like this, well, it's like, let's say, terrible communication and like terrible boss behavior, it makes me wonder why are these people even promoted? Like, how does that even happen? And it makes me wonder, hmm, can someone be a great boss in other ways, but let's say just a terrible communicator? Or is it, or are these so linked that like the shit, the entire ship sinks or swims? Yeah. with a, a, a based on how based on how he communicates i don't know the answer well no i've seen situations where where people who are very poor communicators have had very sexual bit successful businesses but when that's occurred it only occurred when there are other people around them uh. slack and taking care of it and, and i've also seen bosses who are let's say brilliant at um pr let's say do you call it pr over there yeah, public relations. Yeah. yeah. So, like, if there's a boss who's very, very good at PR, and that opens a lot of doors for the business, and it gets them funding, or it gets them prestigious contracts, or whatever it is, sometimes that's incredibly valuable. And then sometimes they have an insulating layer around them, let's say, of the board. Um, I worked for a, cl a client once, this was years later. And I worked with several members of the board, but not with the actual head of the board. Yes. Okay. And I had, and he, he was the guy who originally suggested I was brought in because he'd met me through another context. And I would say to him, um, John, you always want to have a conversation with me every now and again to talk about everybody except you. <laughs> the only one on your board who doesn't want to take advantage of the fact that I'm on site to actually help you with something. Why is that? And he would just say, oh, no, I just don't want to. 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 I went, okay, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. And all of his board would always say to me, oh, yeah, John, John is not a people person, they would say. <laughs> He's not a people person. And what they meant by that was that he was... Not not strong on his interpersonal skills, right. but he was a, a brilliant businessman, very, very strong businessman. And he had a strong board. And they dealt with everybody else in the business. That 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 makes sense. I think a good lesson from that is it's important to know your weaknesses and work with other people whose strengths compensate for your weaknesses. Because humans being human, no one's going to be great at everything. So, yeah. so if I'm a great sales guy, okay, I need someone else to actually manage the people or vice versa, for, for example. Precisely, yeah. Okay, so this is one lesson to take out of the, the, uh, the bus disappearing. Another interesting lesson is, or, or let's say observation, where his communication fell. What, what's interesting is like the perfect storm where he didn't just not communicate to the team what's happening, but he also didn't let you guys know that you're supposed to do this. So it was like, so like, it's not just one side had misaligned expect, uh, expectations 
but both. And, and I think that's also a, a good reminder where often situations turn from bad to worse, where, where it's basically multiple problems layer on, on top of each other. Yes, yeah. And actually subsequent to that piece of work, I, I then went back and said to our organization, um, this can't happen again. What needs to happen? Because sometimes the salesperson in their eagerness to get the contract won't necessarily dig down and find out stuff that really that the training team needs to know. So I said, okay, from now on, um, if there's a contract that I'm going in on, I am going to go and have a meeting with the client in advance, personally, myself. And so we then built that into our process. That awesome. became our process. And, and in fact, that meeting would usually have the salesperson and the lead trainer for the program, both meeting with the client together and making sure that all three of us had the same idea of what the contract was, why that was the contract, you know, what was being paid for it, et cetera, and how many days it was, uh, you know, everything about it. And that just made such a difference, made an enormous difference. That makes sense. It's someone in software development firms, usually it starts out with a salesman, and then like the second or third meeting, they'll bring in the tech lead as well. And uh, for, for that's like the techie version of the same. Another interesting observation that I would add is in, in the US, there's lots and lots of little consulting firms and consultants like Yomi, but there's also a small group of the superstar consulting firms like the famous McKinsey's and Bain's and, and so on. And what's interesting is in the US, the superstar consulting firms, McKinsey being the lead example, have a stereotype for explicitly doing exactly what we're talking about, where like the, the reputation is, okay, the boss wants to get the, the company doing this, but or the CEO wants to get the company doing this, but he doesn't have the political strength in order to do that. Oh, pay a few million dollars to the best consultants out there. And they're the ones that come up with the, the strategy, which is which is really what the boss wants. And then the boss says, no, no, no. This is what the best, most expensive consultants in the world re uh, yeah. re recommend doing. So we have to do it. So the, so the reputation, and I've known a few people that have worked there and they yeah. confirm that the reputation, the stereotype yeah, is right. true. Right. I've, <laughs> had, I've had clients who, interestingly, because late, later on when I set up on my own and I was doing executive coaching with board members and CEOs, I would often be going into their premises and kind of shadowing them doing their job for the day. <clears throat> and numerous times I would be sitting in on a meeting they were having with McKinsey's, IBM, yeah. PricewaterhouseCoopers, et cetera, and witnessing the whole thing. And then, <laughs> That's incredible. And then facilitating my client afterwards on how they could get what they really want out of these other consultants. So <laughs> I was like... <laughs> <laughs> which was a great thing to be doing because I wasn't inside that big structure that those people were in. I was my own independent solo operator. So I could see things that they might miss. And, and I could say, yeah, you're about to spend a lot of money on something. It's not going to give you anything. You're about, but you could spend the same money and get what you really want, which was what you told me earlier, which is this. Oh, how do I get them to give me that? This is how you get them to give you that. You tell them you want it, essentially. Oh, can I really do that? Yes. <laughs> so, 
So it, 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 there's a whole thing on both sides. There was a thing we used to talk about called client skills when I did my humanistic psychology master's degree, client skills. And what I, that don't, means is, I don't know that phrase as a phrase. Okay, what it means is if you are a client, you can be more or less skillful at getting what you need. So if you've got really well-developed client skills, it means you as the client are really good at get, getting what you need from your, your coach, your supplier, whatever. Oh, I see. That all, you, clients often hire vendors, consultants, etc., and then expect them, okay, I pay you and you do all the heavy lifting. But actually, if the clients who are skilled with a very particular kind of vendor consulted management skill set, they they can then get get what they need most effectively from the people they hire. Correct. You I find see. it as well in, in things like psychotherapy, for example. So some people are very good at working with a psychotherapist where they're the client and are really good at getting loads of value out of it because they are good at saying why they're there, talking about what they hope to get out of it, um, opening up, sharing, asking questions. You know, some people are very skillful at that sort of thing and then they get lots and lots of value. And those are skills that you can learn. But yes. some people don't aren't very skillful at that. Um, and then it's harder for them to get the value. And it's the same with clients. Years later, for my dissertation, for my master's degree, I interviewed 39 different senior execs on their experience of using external consultants. Interesting. And they all started off by saying, well, it, it affected the bottom line like this. And I said, no, no, I'm not asking about statistics. I'm asking, how was it for you? What was it like for you? How did it feel? Right. And no one had ever asked them that before, ever. No one had ever asked them. And it was it's fascinating to discover the degree to which most of them had, had not been able to really, really clarify to their consultant what they really wanted. They just hadn't been able to do that clearly enough. And they hadn't been able to say, stop, this is not what I want. Quite hard to do that. Interesting. I, at, at college, at the Brits Michael University, I was an English literature major. And sometimes I think being an English literature major is like gives you is a secret weapon. Because what is obsessing over reading, writing, how did what's the best writing in, in the universe ever, other than, hmm, like what is it you want to say? What is he trying to say? How do you say it? How do you say it in a way most likely to affect your goal it's exactly yeah. These, yeah. these sorts of skill sets that that had had these executives had them they would have been able to manage their consultants better infinitely so yeah so so what's also interesting is actually let's let's continue on the english literature tangent for uh, for a second i was always a shakespeare nerd and um and one of my favorite tricks that shakespeare uses over and over in his plays is there's always like the main plot, the famous plot that you remember and you study in the Tesserat, but yeah. but all in in almost all his plays, uh, there's always like all the characters have like these peasant assistants that help them, and like and there's always a subplot between them. But one of his favorite tricks 
is the subplot is always like a mirror parallel to, to the main plot. So I don't know. Merchant of Venice, there's, there's this whole theme of giving giving each other rings to make promises and keeping or breaking your promise. But then like the servants of, of everyone would like lose their rings and then break their promise with their rings is like the, the ridiculous version of that. And what's interesting is, yes, this is going to tie, tie back into the conversation where, um, where you and I tend to think of consultants as, okay, come in, give like give advice, teach, coach, help solve, solve, solve problems. But at the, uh, but at the, McKinsey level, it's it's often uh, often as 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 we're saying, no, like the CEO wants to do this. Let's come up with the justification in order to do that, and uh, like let's do let's do the annoying stuff that the CEO just can't do himself. And it feels like your story was sort of like a lower level consultant, but trying in a very very unsophisticated and childish sort of way, trying to do this sort of. McKinsey level. Okay, I'll hire these trainers, but uh, but th- but they'll actually really really g- uh, give the message to them that they're changing their jobs. But I'm not even going to tell them that they're giving the message to change that's the job. Right. At least with at least with McKinsey's, they know that's what they're doing. They know, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> no, which is and which, everybody, which, and also everybody knows that's what they're everybody, doing. Everybody <laughs> knows it. It's it's a very 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 expensive way of not telling people what you think. <laughs> Isn't it? So when, 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 1,000%. I like how you put it where it's, it's the same sort of dynamic, but guess what? Sophistication makes a difference because yeah. at the sophisticated level, the sophisticated CEO hires the sophisticated McKinsey consultants and even if they don't explicitly say it, like yeah. both sides know, know, know what's really happening. The CEO knows how to message this the uh, McKinsey knows how to read between the lines to know what to know what they really need to do, <laughs> while this this Joker was was the the parody version. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In fact, if someone had filmed the whole thing, and then and and cast you know John Cleese or somebody or whoever it, people think is funny to do it, it would have been a hilarious management training video. Now I'm imagining John Cleese and Monty Python as yeah. like management consultant trainers. <laughs> well, John Cleese actually did star in a lot of management training videos. They he was really yeah. There was a whole series of them. Wait, before he became famous or after he became famous? After he became famous. After. Okay, <laughs> that's why they wanted him. That's why they wanted. He's so funny, and also, if you were, oh, it's John Cleese. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> uh, he, he, he over here he was very very popular John Cleese probably still I don't know if he's still alive or not but he he was like a national icon you know that's actually really interesting I I never knew I grew up obsessed with uh with Monty Python so uh, so so uh, I, I I still have Life of Ryan etc like word for word by memory I saw, I saw it many so many times but I didn't know that that in Britain he he's uh, he's a national icon. I usually he was just a really funny member of my favorite. Oh comedy. yeah, no, he's you know he's um yeah he's a classic comedian of his of his time. You know, very very loved. <laughs> During COVID, I went down a rabbit hole of just watching interviews with him on uh, on, on YouTube, and like and he's just 
absurdly funny. So it renewed my appreciation for him. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So now, um, now let's wrap, wrap it, wrap it back up. I think analyzing the situation, you've got a whole bunch of interesting insights have, uh, have, have come out on, on one level, the importance of communication in, uh, in, in all directions, but, but something that I enjoyed about our conversation was we took it a level more subtle and in a direction that none of the previous episodes have, um, have, have gone before about the weak-willed client that tries to use you uh, in order to do the things that, that, he doesn't, that, that, that he doesn't want to do. My, my final question for you before we wrap up is you mentioned, uh, uh, you mentioned a little while ago there's construction outside. Sorry, I, ho I hope you can't hear the noise. I'm, I'm glad uh, it's not somebody breaking things in your kitchen. No. I'm glad it's construction. My, my neighbor's rebuilding the house and, uh, and, and, and enforcing in our, in, in our last minute. My, la my, my last question for you is, um, you mentioned about 15 minutes ago that since this experience, you've developed a bit of an antenna for, uh, for, uh, for sensing when clients would be like this. And I'm wondering if you have any tips from your antenna on how to help younger versions of ourselves spot uh, spot clients who are, who are who are likely to be like this. Oh, thank you. Okay, well, the, the first thing in general is if you make sure before you go into the into any meeting with the client that your that your mind is clear and your body is relaxed as best you can, so that you are um, able to hear your intuition. So if you if you're exhausted and you're running from one thing to the other and you're dropping papers and you're tense and you haven't had enough sleep, you can get signals and you're just going to miss them. Mm. Right. But if you, you know, you, you were in rested, you maybe sat in the reception. I used to turn up early and sit in the reception for half an hour before a meeting and just breathe and just relax. I, actually, what, 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 I, what I would add to that is turn your cell phone off because often, oh, you turn up early. Oh, I'm just going to whatever, look at Instagram yeah. or work, do emails. But even that distract, like distracts your senses. So, so, so you're, you're, you're not paying attention. You totally turn it all off. And if you're able to go for a little walk in fresh air before, etc. So all of that, so that when you go in, you're in a very like um, clear space in your head and you're as relaxed as possible and then you come in and then really really pay attention and pay attention if you get a little tiny 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 feeling of this feels a little bit off really listen to that tiny feeling just really listen to it because that's the first inkling that there's something that might be a little bit off now you don't know what might be off you know, it could be that your client had a fight with his partner that morning and is really upset and is trying to hide it because they're trying to be professional, you know. Or it could be that they are trying to actually manipulate, maneuver something. And then when you get that feeling, you listen to it and then you just ask questions. Just ask, keep asking questions and really listen to the answers and write everything down. Another thing that's very useful is to sometimes not agree to things in the meeting. 
Interesting. Um, and to say, this is really good. I've got all the information I need. I'm just going to go away and process this. It's part of my protocol to really serve you well, whatever it is. I'm just going to go away and process this. You go away and process it and you really examine it carefully. And if you've got somebody who you work with, like a, a business partner or um, a supervisor or like somebody who you can talk to about these things, you can say to them, I've got this slightly weird feeling about this. This is the situation. This is what I found out. And they might be able to help you pinpoint what the weird feeling is about. And they may be able to help give you a few more questions to go back in with. And I suppose that leads on to just never agree to do something if you're not completely happy about it. Even if you think you might lose the sale, even if you're worried about paying your mortgage, whatever it is, if you can stick with that determination, I'm not going to say yes to anything unless I'm really happy with it. That will also save you an enormous amount of trouble. So those are a few things to be, all of those things I've just mentioned take a lot of practice. So, you know, you try and do it the first time, it may not work. So you, you keep practicing. I've been practicing these things for decades, so it's easy for me to say. But I think if people start practicing th these things when they're young, then by the time they get to my age, they'll be way smarter and more evolved than I am now. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of those tips are awesome. And the commonality behind all of that is uh, Luke, use the force. Trust your instinct, in, yes. um, in, in other words. And it's interesting because modernity seems to me to be so something like a concerted effort to try to get people to ignore their gut instinct and like all the distraction screens it's trying to get you to think about this put your mind there put like put your mind everywhere except in your gut instinct yes. so and, and this makes it in the modern world in other words people 20 years younger than us uh dub doubly hard yeah yeah Catherine, this was fantastic. Everyone who's made it to the end, um, I hope you enjoyed it as, uh, uh, as as much as I did. And I and I hope everyone learned and got some useful tips out of it. And Catherine, thank, thank you very much. This, this has been a lot of fun. It's been my pleasure. May I do a very quick plug for my podcast? Absolutely. Go. Thank you so much. So I have a podcast. It's called Truth and Transcendence. And the idea is that when we find and connect with our truth, then we have the possibility of transcending in whatever way we want to. And I have a whole host of fascinating guests. Can you just explain that for like two more sentences? Because I think I understand it in theory, but not really. Okay, fine. So if you want to move forward in your life, whether it's because things are good and you just want to go further or... Yes. Things are a nightmare and you want to fix it. Whatever your reason for wanting to move forward. It's really helpful to begin by saying, what is true for me now? What is true for me now? Where, where is my heart? What, what is nurturing me? What is an obstacle for me? What am I happy about? What am I miserable about? What's my truth? And what's my truth in terms of what really matters to me? What's my spiritual truth? What's my emotional truth? What's my 
intellectual truth. You know, what is my truth in all these areas? And when we connect with what our truth is, suddenly everything changes. Suddenly, all sorts of things that seemed completely intransigent melt away because we've seen our truth. And a lot of the issues we experience in life are kept stuck by us resisting, denying, not connecting with what it really actually feels true about the situation. So truth and transcendence is all about finding our truth, connecting with it, committing to it, and then seeing what transcendence is then possible for us. So the guests I have coming on each have their own individual story about that. And I've had a whole fascinating range of people in all different walks of life telling these extraordinary stories, which are very, very human. And anyone can listen to that and, and go, oh, my God, I resonate with that, resonate with that part. I don't resonate with that part, or the whole thing is new to me. That's a revelation, you know, whatever it is. And I, I also do solo episodes where I talk about pieces of my own truth and ways that's helped me to transcend and ways that's helped my clients to transcend. So it, I, I find it a very interesting podcast and my, my, uh, uh, my listeners seem to like it. But what I, what I find interesting about that is... I everything you said, I make very similar points all the time, friends, clients, and surprisingly, even even in business context. But what's what's interesting is just I have a very different vocabulary and way of talking about the same. Where yeah. where um, I like approaching it, where I, I was a classics nerd growing up, and ancient Greek philosophy basically begins with Plato through the voice of Socrates saying, "Know thyself." Nodiseoton in Greek, know yourself, and Knowing yourself is, and that's how I think about it. Like, what do you like? What, what, uh, what, uh, what, uh, what makes you happy, and and so on. And it gets really, really complex because I like this; it makes me happy. But guess what? It has negative consequences. So, so these questions get very challenging and, and very subtle. But but I hadn't thought about it as like my truth. I think about it more as my preferences. But it's a very comparable point of of understanding yourself in a deep way including all the darkness and all yes. the implications which is hard and powerful and and all the light oh and all the light I, I i like your optimistic take on it <laughs> i look at myself and it gets dark but you're right there's also a lot of beauty and light as well exactly okay this uh this was wonderful we can include a link to your podcast in the show notes as well but uh, that would be great. And um, thank you, every, everyone, for showing up. To be continued. <laughs>